Welcome to Park Church. My name is Matt. I am a pastor here on staff. If you are brand new to this community, never been here before, you're not going to notice anything is different. But if you have been here before, you will notice things are different. Uh, my shirt's tucked in. That's never happened before. I actually put it on this morning and just discovered it was too long for me. So that's the reason why it's tucked in. In case you were wondering, I know that was why you, you know that's why you're here. Um, the real thing that's different is that usually this table is over there, and we do what we're going to do at this table uh, really after the message, and then that podium and the microphone is usually here in the middle, but the content of the message this morning is just about this meal that's in front of us. What, what we call the Lord's Supper, some places call communion the Last Supper. It's something that we celebrate here every Sunday. Um, other churches celebrate it less, some more. Uh, this is a meal that Jesus gave us, that he he had with his closest followers um, on the night before he would go to the cross and die. He was gathered with his uh, closest followers, his disciples, and they were sitting around a table, and there was bread, and there was wine there, and there was, there was other things, but these are the things we focus on. And he sat there, and he looked into the eyes of these people, people who knew him and who followed him already, people who uh, were confused about what he was all about, people who would betray him just hours later, people like Judas who would betray him just hours later, but also people like Peter who would walk away from Jesus and deny that he ever knew them. And he looked them in the eyes and he had this meal where he took a loaf of bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and he blessed it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He told us to do this in remembrance of him. And then he took a cup and he poured some wine. And he said, this is my blood. Blood of the new covenant shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And that's why we do this meal every week. Because he told us to. So doing things differently this morning um, is also in part because we're doing a new sermon series this morning. We're, we're, we're kicking this off, and it's called The Four Days That Changed the World. And we're kicking off um, this series with this meal because this meal is really the thing that kicked off the four days that changed the world. And of course, what I mean by that is um, the Thursday before Jesus died, that was Good Friday, and then Friday, Saturday, when he was dead in the grave, and Sunday was Easter morning. And so each of the next four weeks, we're going to focus on one of these different um, days of the week. And this morning, this morning what we're going to focus on is Thursday. Thursday was the day before Jesus died. There was a lot of things that we could talk about on Thursday. Thursday was a very busy day. Right after this meal, Jesus would um, very famously go out to a garden and he would throw himself in prayer before his father and say, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, if there's any way for me not to have to go and give my life like this, let that be, God. But he said, not my will, but yours. And that's a, um, it's a very human moment that we see from Jesus. And it's very um, uh, just kind of mysterious what that is about. And then we also see that Judas betrays Jesus for a sack of cash. Judas trades in Jesus for some money. We see Peter deny Jesus. Um, we see Jesus get uh, arrested, right? We see him get um, imprisoned. We see him get captured. We see him get um, unfairly tried by the religious leaders of those days. But it was, it was this meal that starts off that day. This meal is the, 
is the meal that sets the stage for what these four days that change the world, for what they're actually about. It sets the tone for it. This meal was originally, when Jesus had it, it was a Passover meal set during Passover weeks, which was one of the biggest celebrations that the Jewish people had in those days and still is today, the Passover. It's important to note that Jesus chose this for himself. Jesus knew the plan was for him to come to Jerusalem, to confront the religious powers, to confront the political powers. Um, He knew he would be arrested and unfairly tried and he would be executed. He knew that. When it comes to when that happened, it was sort of up to him, right? He could have chose any of the Jewish festivals uh, for this to happen. There There was all sorts of, there was harvest festivals, and he could have come to Jerusalem during that time. There was, um, Festivals where they celebrated when God gave them the law. He could have come during that time. He could have come during Yom Kippur, which was the Day of Atonement. This is the day that they remember um, and celebrate and actually make atonement for their sins. That's the day they make themselves right with God. It would have been fitting for Jesus to come and give his life on the Day of Atonement. Because that's what Jesus is all about, making us right with God. But he didn't choose any of those festivals. Instead, he chose the Passover as the time where he uh, would come and be arrested and suffer and die and be buried and then raised from the dead. So what is it about the Passover um, that, that was so important for Jesus, um, for his death to mean what it actually meant? So first, what's the Passover? If you um, are familiar with the beginning of the book of Exodus, which is the second book in the Bible, in the Old Testament, um, This is the book that tells the story of the Passover. And if you've read that, you know it. Or if you have seen the Ten Commandment movies with Charlton Heston and the Red Sea and all that, that's all part of it. Um, My generation is more like the Prince of Egypt, I think. I don't quite remember that movie, but I remember like hearing about it. Um, But here's the basic story, right? Thousands of years before Jesus has this meal, uh, the Jewish people were living in Egypt and it was good for them. It was a good place for them. Um, they 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 were happy there. As time went on, Uh, the Jewish people grew more and more and more within Egypt. Um, The Pharaoh, the king who was good to them, he died, and then his son became king, and then that guy's son became king, on and on and on. Eventually, uh, the situation was that the Jewish people were numerous in Egypt, and there was a king there uh, who was not a huge fan of them. Exodus tells us, actually, that that their reproductive prowess while they were in Egypt was astonishing. They were, they were numerous throughout the land. There was a lot of these people. Um, and the king didn't like them, in part because if another nation were to come and try to conquer Egypt, all they would have to do is partner with the Jewish people, and Egypt couldn't take that. So the king, the pharaoh, needed to do something about that, and uh, what he did was basically enact two different things. One was slavery. He enslaved the Jewish people He forced hard and difficult, demoralizing labor onto these people. The other thing he did was he enacted a program where basically they would kill the Jewish boys before they had a chance to live. And this is kind of where Moses comes into the picture. If you know Moses, um, Moses was a Jewish boy who was supposed to be killed. Uh, He escapes because of all sorts of circumstances. Long story short, that was Moses' whole whole life. I just long story shorted. Um, Moses grows up. He sees one of his Jewish brothers getting, getting beaten, getting mistreated by an Egyptian, and he murders that Egyptian. He's so furious he can't take it. He runs away to escape the murder, and 
while he has run away, this is the moment where God comes and speaks to Moses. You've heard of the burning bush, maybe? This is where God speaks out of the burning bush and says to Moses, Moses, this is who I am. I am the God who is going to free you, and I am the God who is going to do that through you, Moses. And so he sends Moses back to Egypt to lead his people out. So Moses goes back, he talks to the Jewish leadership, um, and then what he does is he goes and approaches the king, the pharaoh of Egypt, and says, it's time for you to let my people go. And of course, what does Pharaoh say? No. And Moses says, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, no. And so then what happens is God puts the, these ten plagues onto Egypt. And if you remember this from Exodus or you remember this from Sunday school or from those movies, these, these plagues are horrible. Things like swarms of gnats and things like um, the water in Egypt turning to blood and things like so many frogs everywhere that you can't even like lay in your bed. That's how many frogs there are. Um, the ninth plague is just darkness, just black darkness all over the land so that they couldn't see anything. And for each of these plagues, Moses would go to Pharaoh and say, now's the time to let my people go or else it's going to get worse or else it's going to get worse or else there's going to be another plague. And finally, uh, the 10th plague comes and it's a bad plague. They're all bad. That's why they're called plagues. Um, but this one's really bad. What God plans on doing is going through the land of Egypt and killing every firstborn male. Not just the children, uh, not just the humans, but the, the animals as well going through and killing every firstborn male. Um, Egyptian, Jewish, didn't matter. This was a plague that God was going to send on these people. Except for the Jewish people, God gave them a way out. He said to them, here's what you do. Every family, or if you're not rich enough to have this on your own, you can go with your neighbors in on this. Get a lamb, take the lamb, slaughter it, kill it. You can eat part of it. But what we want you to do is take the blood of the lamb and put it on your doorframe. Put it on your doorpost so that when my spirit, so that when I come through Egypt, killing all of these firstborn males, I will see the blood of the lamb and I will pass over your house. And I will not kill uh, the firstborn in your home. That's where the word Passover, that's where it comes from. Uh, when God saw the blood of the lamb that covered the people in that house, uh, he would pass over them. So that's what happens. And on that night, it was a horrible night in Egypt. Um, Pharaoh's own son died, and Pharaoh had had enough. Egypt had had enough. They send the Jewish people away, saying, we can't take it anymore. Uh, Moses, God, leads the Jewish people out into the wilderness, out away from Egypt. Pharaoh changes his mind, sends the horses and chariots after them. This is where the whole Red Sea thing happens, right? They catch him. Moses, God, makes a way through the Red Sea. Israel goes free. They're liberated from their oppression. Uh, the Egyptians are drowned in the Red Sea. And that's, that's the story, that's the long story of the Passover compressed into about five minutes. If I were to um, sum up the what the Passover is all about, the one word that captures the whole thing, that word would be freedom. That is what the Passover is about. God winning freedom for his people. Jewish people celebrate this meal year after year, still to this day. Uh, in order, it really does two things for them. It reminds them of the great act of deliverance that God did for his people way back when, thousands of years ago. And it reminds them of who God is. It shows them who God is. God is a God of freedom. God is a God of liberation. 
God is a God who does not want people to be oppressed, to be enslaved, to be stuck in their chains. God will do what it takes to free his people. When Jesus places his own death and his resurrection in the setting of the Passover, with this meal included, these four days that changed the world, what he is saying to us and to the entire world is this too is about freedom. This too is about liberation, about deliverance from slavery, deliverance for salvation. And so when Jesus has this meal, this this Passover meal, they're gathering thinking this is going to be a typical Passover celebration, but Jesus doesn't do that. Um, He turns the elements into something that looked back on what God did way back when to something that God would do the next day through him. Um, These elements don't pass, don't don't point back to the past, but they point um, to the present. They point to the, f- to the future. They point to himself. What Jesus is saying is this, what this meal represents, this is God's greatest act of deliverance. This, uh, what will happen on the cross tomorrow, this is what reveals who God actually is as this God of freedom. That's why we take this meal week after week, because it shows us who God is again and again. God is the God of freedom. For us, though, it's not just deliverance from something like Egyptian slave masters, right? We don't celebrate the freedom that we have um, from Egyptians. But this is freedom from everything that holds us captive, from everything that works against us to enslave us, from the powers and forces out there that sometimes we can't even put our fingers on, we can't even name, but that are working against us to oppress us. And if you know what it's like not to live a life um, free, you know exactly what this is all about. But freedom and slavery, that's that's what the theme of this meal is. That's what the theme of these four days that changed the world really is. So what are we talking about when we're talking about freedom and slavery? Um, It's important to know that freedom, when I talk about freedom, and I think when scripture talks about freedom, it's not what we typically think of as freedom. It's not like land of the free America. That's like kind of part of it, maybe, but not really. Um, It's not what we typically think about freedom, which is like freedom of choice. We think sometimes that the highest goal of freedom is that we can choose whatever we want. We could choose to be whoever we want. We could choose to do what we want. We could choose to buy what we want, right? We experience this when we go to the supermarket. You go to the cereal aisle, right? There's literally an entire aisle worth of cereal choices. And sometimes what we think is that freedom is being able to choose whatever we want, right? That was at least my experience of when I was a kid. Um, my parents would never let us get like sugary cereals and whatnot. So when I became an emerging adult, I could go to the supermarket myself and I could pick out whatever I want. I, I could buy Cocoa Puffs if I wanted. I could buy Lucky Charms. Um, I could buy all of the uh, Count Chocula that was left um, and bring it with me to college, right? I was free to gain as much weight as I wanted. This was all, this was all part of freedom. Um, this is what we think freedom is. Freedom to choose what we want, be what we want, become what we want, do what we want. Um, That's not freedom as scripture talks about it or as God has designed for it, uh, you for it. Um, Freedom is more like being able to go to the supermarket knowing what the right cereal is to choose and being able to purchase it unencumbered, right? Being able to purchase it um, 
freely. That's what freedom is. When I think about freedom, I think about it like this. Uh, Life that's not free is like life living in a quicksand pit where every step forward, every motion, every breath you take is labored, is difficult. You're not free to walk, to run, to do what you uh, ought to be doing the way you were meant to do it because you are just um, stuck, you're imprisoned, uh, you're pulled down by this resistance of the quicksand. Freedom is when someone comes along, picks you up out of that pit and puts you on solid, firm ground and says to you, go ahead and live. That's, that's freedom. Being able to walk the way you were meant to, being able to breathe the way you were meant to, being able to live your life the way that you were meant to. That's, that's, that's the biblical, the um, scriptural understanding of what freedom is. So when I talk about freedom, when scripture talks about freedom, it's not freedom to choose, but it's freedom to live the life that God has made for you to live. To live the exact life that God has designed you for and designed for you. That is actually freedom. All right. When it comes to slavery, though, um, I, I bet a lot of us here, um, some of us might not have a sense of what this is like, but for a lot of us, we might know exactly kind of like what I'm getting at. Because you might be sitting there and you might be thinking to yourself, yeah, I know what he means. I know what it's like to not be free. I know what it's like to feel trapped by circumstances that are beyond my control or that are within my control and I can't escape them. Um, I know what it's like to feel in prison, to be captured. I can put my finger on it. I can name it. Whether it's, you know, something in your past that has you stuck, that mistake that you made, that harm that you caused, um, and you're living now with the guilt of it, you're living now with the regret of it, maybe you're just living with the consequence of the action that you took. Um, Maybe it's something like your addiction or someone else's addiction, that every time you or that person starts to step out of their prison cell, starts to step out of that quicksand and live free, it's like there's a chain that just gets them and brings them back. Or maybe it's just the issues that we all have in our heart, in our head, that make it so that we can't live the life that we're made to live. Um, We have issues that make it so that we can't do the things that we want to do, even though they're good things. We have issues that make it so that we do do things that we don't want to do, even though they're bad and we know it, but that's just the way it works for us in here. Maybe for you, it's just something like fear. Maybe you're at a crossroads in your life, having to make a big decision about whether you go left or right, whether you stay or go, whether you um, leave the relationship or whether you fight through it. And the fear of making the wrong decision is just paralyzing. It's like you have chains on you because you're afraid to make the wrong decision. Or maybe even worse, you're afraid to make the right decision. You're afraid of what the right decision will actually mean for your life. And that fear has you paralyzed, has you stuck, trapped, um, enslaved to the unknown. And this is something that's true, whether you're a Jesus follower or not. I mean, you might be a Jesus follower and know exactly what this feeling is like, but you might not be. And you might just think, yes, I know what this is like. I think that if we were to give people truth serum, this would be an absolutely universal feeling. That we're all stuck, we're all imprisoned in ways that maybe we can't even verbalize sometimes or consciously think about, but it's actually true. And this is, um, this is the overwhelming picture that scripture paints for us about humanity, about the world. That every man, woman, and child is in this situation. And outside of the four days that changed the world, um, this is where everyone is trapped, enslaved in some capacity. That seems to be God's read of things. 
That's why God sent his son. That seems to be God's read of things. And so um, it would be helpful for us then to think about what is it? What is it that actually withholds our freedom? What is it that actually oppresses us? What is it that actually enslaves us? And to get there, we're going to kind of turn the page in this message. Um, and we're going to look at a letter that a man named Paul wrote to the church uh, in Galatia. His letter to the Galatians. Um, in one sentence, this letter is about freedom. This letter is all about freedom. He starts the letter off by saying exactly that. I can't turn and look at the screen like I usually do because it's like right behind me. I struggled with this in the first, at the nine o'clock too. Um, what Paul says, he kind of opens a letter by talking about Jesus and saying, look, this is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus gave his life. This is why Jesus suffered like this. Um, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free. He came to set us free from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. This is what God wants for us. And then in the middle of the letter, really towards the end of the letter, um, he kind of gives his thesis statement for the entire thing, uh, his kind of statement on freedom. And it's kind of a weird sentence. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. What Paul is saying there is Christ has come and he has picked us up. He has picked you up out of the quicksand pit and he has put you on firm ground for freedom, to set you free to go walk. That's what, that's what this passage is all about. He has set you free from the quicksand, putting you on firm ground. So stand firm. Walk firm. Don't go back this way into the quicksand pit, right? Go forward. Don't go back into the yoke of slavery, but go, but go forward instead. And going back into the yoke of slavery, this was something that was just a huge um, temptation for the Jewish people in the Passover, right? If you know that story, you know that right after the Exodus, after they get through the Red Sea, they start wandering in the wilderness, and the first thing they start to do is to complain about how they'd rather go back to slavery. Um, you know, they're out there, and they're like, Moses, there's no water, we're thirsty, wouldn't it have been better for us to die back in Egypt as slaves? At least we didn't, we wouldn't die of dehydration. And God gives them water. M Moses, we don't have any food, we're hungry, we're starving. Wouldn't it have been better to go and die in Egypt? We were slaves, but at least we had food. God gives them food. Hey, Moses, we don't like the variety of food. We would like more kinds of food. You know, we know it was slavery back there, but at least we had different choices. So God gives them different choices. This is, this is something that we do when we experience freedom. Freedom is difficult, right? Because there's, no, like, there's less rules around it. Um, it's unexpected. It's not something that we're familiar with. Slavery, even though it's more difficult and harder for your life, in some way it's easier because you know it. You're familiar with it. This is why people run back into bad relationships, right? He might have abused me, but I knew him, right? This is, this is, why, people, this is why people do this sort of thing. And so Paul wants to warn the Galatians, and he wants to warn us too, don't go back into slavery. Don't go back into the kind of things um, that are like a yoke of slavery, that are like the quicksand pit. Now, when it comes to what actually enslaves us, what actually is that, um, if you trace through the letter of Galatians, you really kind of get a few things, really three, though, that I would focus on, one of which is just too big of a topic, and so we're going to save that for next week. And that is just, quite frankly, sin and death. That's the thing. That's the umbrella that all of this falls under. We're going to save that for next week. Um, 
But the two things that Paul kind of pinpoints in the letter to Galatians, one is addressed to the Jewish people in Galatia, one is addressed to the Gentile people who were there. And so first, the Jewish people. Um, for Paul, when he looked at these Jewish followers, he saw that they, they kept trying to go back into the law of Moses, into the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments and the sacrifice this and do that and, and circumcision and food laws and Sabbath. He found that they kept trying to go back to the law of Moses. And Paul says to them in very clear terms, um, when Jesus died, he put that law to rest. He fulfilled that law. It's been fulfilled, so you don't have to fulfill it any longer. It's been fulfilled. So why would you go back to those things? Why would you go back to that? The way that he talks about it is in terms of um, a word called justification. He says to them, you're trying to justify yourselves by following the works of the law, but you can't do that. You know, and Paul actually gives it to us in Galatians 2.16. He says, yet we know that a person is justified. Justified meaning um, made right with God. Justified not by works of the law, but through faith in, in Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith and not by doing the works of the law because no one will be justified by the works of the law. What Paul is saying to them is you can't ever make yourself right with God. It's not about what you could do for yourself. It's not about what you've done. It's about um, Christ as you have received him in faith, what he has done for us that makes us right. But for them, there was this temptation to go back to the law because probably because it was familiar, probably because um, it was predictable. When there's a set of rules that you have control over, in some way that's easier um, than, than being free. At least it's predictable, at least it's familiar. This is a reason why a lot of people, um, when they leave like captivity situations or, or, or when they leave bad relationships, they run back into them. Because even though it was worse, at least it's familiar. Um, now, for us, though, we don't, we don't operate according to the law of Moses. I mean, unless you're Jewish, like, this is not something that you live with. But what this, what this was, what this temptation really was, was their way to show God, uh, their way to prove themselves to God, to show themselves worthy, to do good. Uh, and when they did good, they showed that they were good enough for God, that they were in, right? And this is something that we do do. This is something that we are guilty of if we think about it. We don't, we don't do it consciously, but we all have that list in our head of things that if we do these things and if we don't do these things, um, we're going to be good enough with God, right? We don't have it consciously, but we think about it, right? Uh, I'm not going to drink too much too much, right? I'm not going to use those certain words that I'm not supposed to use in certain places. Um, I'm going to stick with my wife. I'm not going to kill anyone. I'm not going to steal from anyone, right? We all have these lists. And then on the other side, on like the good stuff, it's uh, I know I'm going to do some random acts of kindness and that's going to make me feel good. That's going to make me feel like I'm doing the right things. I'm, I think I'm supposed to read my Bible maybe every day, but I don't know, maybe once a week is good enough. Um, I'm going to go to church two and a half times a month, right? Um, we have these lists where we think if we're able to do this box of things, then God has to be happy enough with us. God has to uh, let us go. God has to be good with us. And to all of that, to any idea like that, Paul, Paul just says, no, absolutely not. There's nothing you can do to justify yourself. You are not justified by your works. You are justified by Jesus' works for you alone. And listen, 
to go back behind what Jesus did for us and to do it for ourselves instead is like going back into slavery. The slavery of, um, I have this list, but what if I don't live up to the list? Then what? I have these things that I'm supposed to do, but what if I don't do them? Or what if I mess up and do something I know I shouldn't have done? How will I repay it? The slavery of, if it's going to happen, it's because I'm going to make it happen. The slavery of um, everything with my relationship with God, it's on my shoulders. The mistakes you've made, the sins you've committed, um, the failures that you've acquired, these things are on me. To this, Paul says no. For freedom, Christ has made you free. So don't go back to that way of thinking. Don't go back to that. Live free instead. And then to the Gentile followers, he says something really um, that's just very different. He says something very different because this wasn't their um, temptation so much. Listen to what he says to them. He says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to beings that by nature are not God's. Now, however, that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and beggarly elemental spirits? How can you want to be enslaved to them again? How, how can you go back to those elemental spirits? What, what's he talking about here? In those days, uh, what people worshipped, if you weren't Jewish, is um, you worshipped a bunch of lowercase g gods. And what these lowercase g gods represented were the elemental spirits of the world, the elements of the world. Things like fire, things like wind and water and earth, things like the sea, things like the sun, the moon, the stars, um, abstract concepts like fertility or like victory. Like these were the things that people worshipped back then. If you think about what all of these things represent, what all of these things are, these are the forces uh, that controlled the world, right? So if you're a farmer, you are going to worship the God of the earth or the God of the rain or, or the God of the harvest because that's what you needed to live. If you had a hard time having children, you would worship, you would sacrifice to, you would give yourself to the God of fertility because then you would be able to have a kid. If you were a king, you would worship the God of war, right? Because you wanted victory, now, we don't worship these lowercase g gods like this. This is not something that we do. I mean, back in those days, they would actually make gods of them and worship them, or they would make shrines to them, and they would go to them. But when you think about how to translate this sort of thing into modern terms, it actually isn't very hard um, to imagine what these things could be. Like, what are the things that we look to to make our lives okay, um, to make the world work, that have control over us? And you know, the first one, and it's, it's really pretty simple, it's just like money and stuff, right? Not just how much wealth we have or how much stuff we have or how nice this is or how nice that is. That's part of it, but that's really not what I'm talking about. Um, what I mean is anytime you have said to yourself, and we have all said this to ourselves, if I just have enough money in the bank and stuff, then I'll be okay. What that is is replacing trusting in God with trusting in your money, with trusting in your stuff. What Paul would say to that, that's just going back into slavery. It's a different kind of slavery. It's a slavery to money and stuff. It's just going back into a different kind of slavery. He said, you're free from that. Don't live like that anymore. Another one um, is just the lowercase g God of success. And this is something in our culture, I think especially in our area, we are just driven by this. 
Um, the culture to have the best job, to be the best, um, to make our kids be the smartest and the best at the sports and the best dancers and all this sort of stuff, um, to drive them for that. It's why we're never quite happy with the success that we have. And what happens is if we make ourselves successful enough, what that drives us to is trusting in our own success rather than trusting in what God has done for us. This is something that we fall victim to again and again and again. If we make ourselves successful enough, if we have earned that mark of success in our minds, then what do we need God for? We've, we've made ourselves God. We've done it on our own. Paul says that is another form of slavery. It's a house of cards. It will not last. Paul says don't go back into that kind of slavery. Just don't go back. The other one, and this is kind of like, um, it kind of adds on all of them, but it's just the lowercase g God of more. Not just more money, not just more stuff, not just more success, but this sinking feeling that I think we all deal with where we think, if I just had more of this, then I'd be okay. If I just had a little more house, then I'd be okay. If I just had a little more friends, then I'd be okay. If I just had a bit more of a job, a bit higher of a salary, then I'd be okay. If I just had a, a little bit better looks, then I'd be okay. If I just, a bit more, a bit more, then I'd be okay. And we could go on and on and on about the things we look to, we hope, and we put our trust in as if these are the things that will save us. And whether or not they're good or bad in and of themselves isn't actually important. The moment we look to them, rather than look to what God has done for us in these four days that changed the world, we go back into slavery to those things. And I didn't even get to the worst, which is sin and death. We'll talk about that next week. What Paul says to the Galatians, and he says to you and I this morning, is why would you go back to that junk? Why would you go back to the quicksand pit? Why would you do that? Why would you trust in those things rather than in the living God who loves you? Those things aren't alive. God is alive. Why would you go back to these things that are weak and beggarly? God is powerful and generous. Why would you go back? And yet, we do. We go back all the time. Jesus knew that we needed to be redeemed from all of that. We needed to be redeemed from everything that enslaves us. And that's why he gave himself for us. But the thing he also knew, focusing on this this morning, is that he knew we would needed to be reminded of it. Because we are, just like the Jewish people, tempted to go back to slavery again and again and again. Tempted to go back again and again and again. We too would be tempted to go back. And that's why he gave us this meal so that we could be reminded of who God is, so that we could be reminded of what God has done for us in Jesus to set us free, to have us go free. This is why we celebrate this meal week after week, because we are tempted to go back into slavery, to try to justify ourselves, to try to get our own sins forgiven, to try to prove how good we are to God or to one another, to try to pay the price for our own sins. We are tempted to go back to all kinds of gods, the God of this, the God of that, to give ourselves at those altars. What this meal does is it reminds us of what we needed to be reminded of, that God is a God of freedom, that God has freed us, and really all we have to do is receive it, is accept it, and live uh, in that freedom to stand firm on the ground he has placed us and walk free, not in the yoke of slavery. Now I'm going to invite the uh, musicians up, and as they prepare to lead us in the next song that we're going to sing, um, I want to tell you about the song. The song is called uh, My Redeemer. And uh, this is a song where if you've been here before, you've sung this song a bunch of different times. Um, this is kind of an old standard here at Park. But it's, I will sing of my Redeemer. 
and his wondrous love to me. On the cruel cross he suffered from the curse to set me free. And if you know this song, there's a lot of eyes in there. I will sing, right? There's a lot of my's, my redeemer. There's a lot of me's from the curse to set me free. The question that I want to put to you this morning is can you sing that with honesty and with integrity? Can you actually uh, confess with your lips and believe in your heart that it is my Redeemer who has set me free? He, is, um, he has died to set me free from the curse. I will sing of my Redeemer. Can you confess that and sing that with honesty and with integrity this morning? If so, we invite you to sing loud and sing along and sing with thankfulness in your heart. If not, maybe this is your time to sing it for the first time uh, as you, believing in what Jesus has done for you, confessing that he is my redeemer. He has died for me. That's what That's what we invite you to this morning. That's what this song invites us to. That's what this meal invites us to Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. To receive the freedom that he has given you, to stand firm and to walk in that freedom, not going back into the yoke of slavery, but following him instead. So rather than uh, close with a prayer, we're going to close with a song that is a prayer. Sing uh, Sing this to God. Sing this for yourself.